So, hello and welcome. My name is Steve Nabell, and today I'm speaking with Stuart Pierce on the Angels of Atlantis. Now, Stuart is a master of voice, voice alchemist, and angel whisperer, and he helped really pioneer the Shakespeare Globe Theatre between 1997 and 2010, and coached many of its luminaries, as well as many prominent actors, politicians, members of the British royal family, and of course, spiritual teachers such as Marianne Williamson. He is the author of The Angels of Atlantis, which is both book and oracle set, and his website is theangelsofatlantis.com. And uh, just to give you a, I had a look at the website and Shelley von Strunkel, the amazing astrologer and columnist said, now finally the truth about Atlantis can endorse and improve our lives of a multitude. Please read this master's writing and flock to his genius for it's truly authentic. Amazing. So hi, Stuart. Hi, Steve. And, and what a pleasure it is to speak with you after um, a number of many moons, in fact, <laughs> yes. since we last spoke. So thanks for inviting me on. Oh, my pleasure. Well, I've, I've known you for, for, for a few, quite a few years and uh, we're witnessing some of your journey. Can you just say something about your journey? Quite an amazing journey from, you know, work in the Globe Theatre with all these luminaries to the spiritual arena. Well, yes. But then life has always been thus, uh, meaning that one of the things that first confronted me, I suppose, when I became conscious, which was early, early, early on in life, was the dichotomy that exists in life, the dualities that exist in life. But for me, it was always to do with, I mean, for example, as you speak about globe and then spirituality, that I saw spirit, that I saw angels as a child, that I saw fairies, I saw energy, and I danced with the multidimensional universe. There were dark stuff, but I was never fearful of it. I always felt in awe and in wonder. I felt that I was held by a guardian spirit that was my guardian angel and Archangel Michael, who was always there. And I spoke about what I saw, thinking that everybody saw what I saw, and I soon discovered they didn't. Yeah. Uh, what followed was punishment. And, and unfortunately, I was challenged as a child because I couldn't read and I couldn't process uh, arithmetic or, or math and you know now I know I'm synesthetic you know that was worked out several years ago but this I was born in post-war years so England Europe the world was still in trauma from the world war the second world war and people were evidently very on edge and um, we didn't know about dyslexia and synesthesia I had a crossover the senses I could see sound so I spent time waving on these currents of energy that were sound formations, sound and light. That was my first insight. Um, and therefore, when I came to the printed word, it was something that felt solidified. It didn't have any anima, you know, it didn't have any life about it. And um, it just became like this sort of static electricity. And it was immensely frustrating. So I was thoroughly beaten, which intensified the um, the cruciality of it. And then my mother had my mother had the most beautiful idea, which was that I was always singing under my breath or or humming. And so she said, "Well, why don't we why don't we put Stuart into a church choir?" And I said, "Yes!" I thought being in church would be wonderful. I was about ten or eleven, and my voice was beginning to break. Um, so I was put into a choir, and that's how I started reading. I started reading through singing. In other words, I read because of flow. I became involved in the flow of the breath and the flow of the tonality. 
um, which of course is with us when we speak, but it's more cut up when we speak and when we sing, you know, there's this there's this melodic waving tonality. How much breath do you have that formulates the duration of the note in circumscription with the word? Because obviously the syllables of words are written in conjunction with note duration to help the anthem, the psalm, the prayer, or the hymn along. Life has always been dichotomous, you see, and then I grew up to recognize that I was different sexually from most people, and that was also um, huge disapprobation, um, because I discovered I was gay, and it it was never a problem for me, but it was certainly a problem for the world, God, the (laughs) amount of gay bashing that went on, blah, blah, blah. I found my home in theater, I'm galloping forward, but I found my home in theater because there was much more um, accessibility, it was much more liberal, there were feelings of liberation, because at the heart of great acting is the essence of communication and the exposition of truth. So it didn't matter if you were gay, you know, Mm. Uh, but at the same time there were still social parameters which everybody behaved, um, because there was a lot of form derived from taboo. Mm. Uh, And then, you know, and then I moved forward and gained public respect and that was the thing that really changed it so i thought that the entertainment industry would be the zenith of my life <laughs> but mm. how did i know that that spirit had this other this other idea about what my destiny would be so it was glorious it was one of the most it was the greatest honor to be with mark rylance at shakespeare's globe for those 10 12 years mm. but when mark resigned in 2006 I realized that the new person that came in, the regime that he wanted to create, was something completely other than what Mark was creating. Mm. And I the standard of work moved from truth, uh, this humble assault on truth, into confusion and division and ugliness. And when that happens, the work suffers hugely. So I protested and said, we can do better, and that wasn't light. So I realized that I needed to get out. Mm. And then the angel said, but don't you see, it's time these angels that came to me in 87, it's time to reveal your journey. So I resigned everything. I resigned the Globe. I resigned my drama school headship. I resigned. I resigned from boards and then just dove in, you know, practice what you preach. I dove into thought creates reality and feeling actualizes the manifestation of your path. So what are you feeling? Are you feeling scarcity or are you feeling abundance? And, you know, that's a constant play, isn't it, Steve? Mm. Well, through the currents of the way we feel. Mm. Uh, you know, my firm belief is that the universe does not speak English. It speaks frequency. Yeah. So it's all feeling. Yes. Well, let me ask you, Stuart, there's a lot of movement spiritually going on, on the planet. What do you think is actually happening now? There's, there's also a great resurgence or renaissance of angelic energy. So why now? Well, it's a time of immense renaissance, isn't it? I mean, this is a crucial time to be alive on planet Earth, indeed, to be alive within this galaxy, um, because it's all change, all change, meaning that there are cosmological um, units of energy, I'm talking about the planets, of course, Mm. that are vast, and they're all changing position. And when they change position, there are jostlings, there are alignments, there are conjunctions, there are dissipations, everything is changing. So that we know that on planet Earth, through the Mayan civilization or the Mayan civilization, we know that this is a time of immense change. In in the Far East, it's referred to as the end of the Kali Yuga pre- period, isn't it? Mm. And so 
it, it, astrologically speaking, it is just vast. Mitigating circumstance on my own life, the last two and a half years have been the, the two, and a, two and a half of the most challenging years of my entire incarnation. I'm now 65. Mm. And um, it's, what's happened is that Saturn has gone right over my midheaven. So my, my dear astrologer friend, Debbie Franks, who I've known for years, said, oh my God, Stuart, this is extraordinary. About three major Saturn returns have been crammed into three years. Mm. Oh my goodness. <laughs> So it's been extraordinary um, in terms of, you know, going into the depth of despondency and then using one's practice to access a much higher vibration, moving into the joy of ecstasy and the spiritual reconnectivity with the holy ones, with the ascended masters, with the angels, and then crashing back down and going into another long dark night of the soul and then coming back up. And, of course, when this happens internally, of course, as we know, Something's also happening externally, and so I, I've always I've always been so lucky, Steve. You know, great opportunities have come to me, and over the last three years, they ceased, and I was being taken within to really evaluate how much does my hum my humility weigh, and how much does my truth weigh. Mm. But my heart was really weighed, and according to my astrologer, I'm now coming out of that, and so I'm beginning to see. The, the unpass that were there, you know, because projects would suddenly not happen. Mm. I go to a workshop, and whereas, you know, in the States, I go to a workshop, there'd be 300 people there. There were sort of 10 people there, hardly any money to pay even the hire of the venue, you know. Right. Uh, and all, the, all those sorts of practicalities that we um, spiritual wayfarers are dealing with, you know, book offers that come through and then are blunted by the publishers because they're not cool enough. So, yes, yeah, so I believe fundamentally because of the way that these angels teach me that this is the third great wave of angelology since the beginning of creation. And, you know, it looks like we really need them. Martin Luther King referred to these beings of light as being cosmic guardians. Well, if cosmology is shifting in sense it's evolving, then obviously the outer world and the inner world of our beings, the inner world of our planet is also changing. Um, earth warming, if you like, is an excrescence in, in, in relation to that, which we obviously need to attend to. Otherwise, we're not going to have a planet to live on. Mm. Um, and Mr. Trump seems to keep refusing the acknowledgement of what that is all about. The Gaia needs to be resacralized. It's very simple. And so they're here to really encourage us to lean on them and to, through prayer and through meditation, through chant, through mantra, to open up stairways to heaven so that they can really help us. They don't come in and work. Their consciousness is not to come and interfere. But if we intercede with them, through mercy, through grace, through love, through joy, then we feel their vibration. And then it's extraordinary, the miracles and the magic that happens. So I feel that that's one of the reasons, you know, because I started talking about angels 30, 31 years ago when I saw them, um, when, I, when they came to me on Glastonbury Tour and the Harmonic Convergence. So that was August 1987. Mm -hmm. And there were a few books out there, Diana Cooper and Doreen Virtue, the two you know, two great angel ladies, one in the UK, one in the US, were beginning to talk about writing their books. But there were very few books. Now you go into Waterstones or or you go on Amazon or you go into um, uh, Mysteries in Covent Garden or wherever, 
Hmm. And you can't get in the door for books about angels. In fact, yes. <laughs> my, my literary agent said to me the other day, oh, God, darling, don't write any more books about angels. The publishers <laughs> don't want them. <laughs> whereas, whereas 20 years ago, they were saying, Stuart, please write books about angels. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, Stuart, how do you experience angels? Cause I, I think I read somewhere that you experience them as kind of orbs or, or spheres of light. Is that true? Or, is it, or do you just, just experience them in different ways? Yeah, you know, I've always seen them either as orbs or beams of light. I've never seen them as human beings with wings. I wish I could, actually. But, yeah. Um, which doesn't mean to say that, you know, that other people's credence in relation to, no, I saw a human being with wings is wrong at all. It's just that they've always shown themselves to me. And I believe it's to do with the fact that I'm awakened to sound, you see. A scientist, quantum physicist client of mine in the States said, something really interesting a few years to me when I said, what is this orb thing? Everybody's seeing orbs. Mm. And if you look at, if you watch movies or the new series on, you know, organs like Netflix, mm. you'll see that actually photographers, cinematographers are using a tremendous amount of speckled light that comes out as orb. And this is something that's happening as a result of the digitalization of, of photo photography. So that's a science. Therefore, the digitalization, the high pixelation of recovering an image through light is forming orb manifestation. Anyway, so he said, the thing about the orb is that it's a, it's a form of geometry that in terms of the pulsations of light and sound can formulate itself to travel through the density of our planetary existence, meaning through weight, space, and time, which are very dense energies. So I thought that was quite interesting. Now you cross over this world of angels and sound healing voice what do they say about the use of sound in ancient Egypt and ancient Atlantis? There's a lot of ideas about it, you know, like moving great stones to create the pyramids. What have they said to you or what, what do you get from them? Well, many things, you know, because uh, you've mentioned, um, you're intimating the, the, the nature of sacred sound, which is that at the core of creation is sound. Sound mm. came about, or rather creation came about through sound and God said, let there be light or the big bang we don't talk about the big silence we talk about the big bang mm. and actually there's a wonderful story it's um, millennial oh it's it's very old it's from Hafiz. and the story goes that the the divine one made a statue of clay in his or as we will say today his or her own image and asked the soul to enter it but the soul refused Ooh, forgive me right. the soul refused because the soul was free to be ubiquitous and liberated in its own countenance. And so the Divine One asked the angels to sing a seraphic chorus. And the story goes that the soul was so enchanted, was so seduced by the beauty of the angels singing, that the soul decided to enter the statue of clay. And so began Adam Cadman, and so began human beings. I find that rather beautiful because it explains the fact that we have sound within us through our voices. We have noises within us as well to do with, you know, physiological effects, um, burpings and fartings. But I'm talking about really the way that we use our voices and um, how our voices are at the very core of our creation. It's the first, apart from breath, which is the first independent action, the second is to go... Yeah! isn't it the roar of life and um and you know in all of our ancient civilizations uh, as within indigenous tribes there was a belief in the human voice that the human voice was always a way of reaching into connectivity with the divine but within the human voice is a blueprint similarly as with the iris or the fingerprint the auditory face of our being 
um, up until the end of the 19th century, the use of persona was um, crucial within society, meaning that persona means per through, sona sound, and that we convey the essence of our being through sound. And so people measured their voices, you know, they, they spoke in certain ways, which of course became dialect or accent. And then we have the snobbery of the 19th century, where, um, you know, you could only speak in a certain way to enter into polite society. But that became a sort of formulating device where people could have their truth measured. The ancient Egyptians did the same thing. So it seems that sound has always been very much in the heart of our consciousness. Mm. And that's also interesting, isn't it? Because what I do with sound is that I introduce people to their note, that we each have a note which is unique to us. So if we're 7.9 billion people living on this planet, there are 7.9 billion individual notes. Mm. Your note is your note, Steve. No other people, no other human being rather has your note. It is you. And, and, and when I discover this note, uh, is it something that I would sound myself in terms of you know, mantra or visualization or something using sound and visualization? How would I use that note? Well, when we move into music, when we move into song sound, our notes change somewhat through the harmonies that are created. So because we don't, don't generally speaking, sing our lives into creation, we speak our lives into creation, and then we sing. Yeah. But I believe that the note is, I mean, for example, I believe that right now you hear me using my note. So I'm where is my sound coming from? Where is my voice coming from? Um, I believe that it's coming out of my heart. And so there's a wonderful proverb by Rumi which says, if words arise from the heart, they enter the heart. If words arise from the tongue alone, they don't pass beyond the ears. And, um, you know, what I feel Rumi was talking about is when we, when we, you know, for example, a prayer that I'd love to use, I won't use all of it now, but later, if we get time to do a meditation, is I am the divine instrument of the I am. I am the flow of the cosmos. I am the very breath of life. So something stirs within us, and then we go to news speak or information speak, and suddenly what we hear is this. Okay, so, you know, if you listen to a news broadcast, I was just listening to something very quickly about one of my clients who's on BBC today, and what you were hearing is this, which is a very, very different vibration from this. And mm. so I believe that, you know, that w what this is all about is a way of recalibrating the fixation that we have on doing, 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 which is essentially a quantitative and cerebral practice. And that it's I'm a great telling that we're being asked to really go into our hearts and measure where our hearts the truth. And that when we speak thus, we get close to that. Now, before the meditation, I know you're going to do a, a reading from the, the um, Angels of Atlantis and um, the Alpha and Omega reading. And uh, I'll, I'll let you say something about that, uh, Stuart. And you're going to choose the cards, Steve, are you? Or do you want me to choose them? Oh, well, I could choose the cards if, if that's okay. Oh, I get to choose the cards. Wonderful. Well, let me have a look here. I've got, I've got them here. Joe Feel as the first card. And the attribution is? Uh, liberation, yes, liberation. And the last card is? All right. Uh, the next one is Raziel. And um, the... Raziel's qualities are retreats, dreams, faith, 
and intuition. The one that leaps out to me is dreams, actually. Okay. So, because we're looking at um, the substance of our conversation and what the angels are saying to us about the nature of what we're sharing. Um, and hopefully, we're, you know, we're, what we're sharing is uh, our own in, innate perception, interpretation, and responsibility for the great changes that are taking place on the earth. And so, the first card we feel is Jophiel, the angel of liberation, and the card is liberation. And the second card is Radziel, um, who is the angel of the mysteries, and the quality, the attribution is dreams, yes? Yes. Okay. So, you see, Jophiel is here with us. The angel of liberation is here with us because the angels and the ascended masters, and these particular 12 angels, the angels of Atlantis that have been working with me for these 31 years, are very, very old, ancient. They're known as Malakim in Kabbalah. So, they're literally working in conjunction with these cosmological ascended masters and mistresses. What Jophiel is saying is this is a time of immense liberation. The question is, what do you have your eye on? What is the quality of liberation that you wish to achieve? And I would suggest that through the angels' teaching over my life over the last 30-odd years, is that what they want us to feel is that feeling is the language of the soul, not thinking. Mm -hmm. And they want us to become intelligent with our feelings. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if we're feeling incarcerated in feeling states, we're going to feel unhappy, we're going to feel depressed, we're going to feel anxious, we're going to feel angry, we're going to feel suicidal, we're going to feel den denial, shame, guilt, etc., etc., disassociation. But if we're really moving towards the light, if we're moving towards the purer virtues, then they want us to feel the liberation of love, joy, delight, so that the whole of our body is lit up. They want us to feel free. They want us to feel expanded. They want us to feel, want us to feel adventurous. They want us to feel uh, inclusivity and empathy and compassion and spiritual ecstasy. So they're the liberating forms that they're asking us to embrace. And what I also feel Jophiel is saying is that um, many of us have concentrated so much on the advancement of our intellect that often our heart's intelligence is left on the wayside. So that when crucial things happen and we suffer, we often don't know what we're feeling. We just know we feel like shit, but we don't know what shit feels like. So what I find more and more and more and more through the work that I'm doing globally is to help people understand what they're feeling by getting them to really talk about what they're feeling. And then we choose states. But many people don't know what mercy is. Many people don't really know what the embodiment of forgiveness is. So how can we move forward if we don't for know what forgiveness means? It's, mm. And uh, how do we stop being codependent? How do we become co-creative? So I'm working through the alchemy of transmuting negative into positive. So that's my own personal slant. But I feel that going back to uh, what uh, Joffiel is offering us in this wonderful conversation today is that Jophiel is wanting us to feel the breath and the rhythm of our beings liberating in relation to the great rhythms of nature. The last card, Radziel and dreams, isn't that beautiful? Because Radziel is the angel of the mysteries. And so what Radziel is saying is, what are your dreams? What are your night dreams? What are your daydreams? What do you wish to dream into creation? What is within your heart? What is within your soul? I believe the heart is the seat of the soul, not the head. Hmm. What is your heart? What is it you want to dream? What is your greatest vision of self, of other, significant other, you know, whether it's a wife or a husband or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or sister or brother 
or friend or colleague or, you know, person within the social unit, the social community where you are? What is the greatest dream that you have for their lives to become full of joy and full of love, full of freedom, full of abundance? Mm. So, so, and Radziel, therefore, with Jophiel, if we call upon them in this way, will come in. And I feel one of the greatest ways is to say a prayer. So, you know, dear Radziel, please hear our call as we fervently and lovingly open our hearts to the wisdom of your administration. Hear our call and make our dreams great dreams, please, mm. so that we can vision ourselves into the next moment of creation much more easily, much more flowingly, much more beautifully, and much more abundantly. Please teach us to be the spiritual wayfarers that we wish to be so that we open our hearts and inclusively give of ourselves on an empathic level to all people, all living beings, animal, vegetable, and mineral. And so it is. Amen. Gorgeous, Stuart. Gorgeous. Thank My pleasure. I love doing it. I just, it's, I get high on it. <laughs> <laughs> So um, we've got time for a meditation with the angels. If you want to lead that, Stuart, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, well, thank you, Steve. Um, and, and of course, we have Jophiel and we have Radziel. If people want to visualize Jophiel, you've heard Steve and I talk about orbs. We'll see this beautiful citrine, this yellow orb, hovering on the left side of your consciousness. You know, so on the left side, if you like, of your left hemisphere of your brain. And then Radziel, the angel of the mysteries, this dark obsidian orb hovering on the right side, so that they're creating for you this hemisync between liberation and the deeper, darker wonders of the universe. And feel the whole of, just close your eyes for a moment. If you have a mudra, use one, you know, finger gesture, sacred finger gesture. Feel the whole of your spine very aligned. Make sure your feet are on the floor, whether you're seated on a chair or cross-legged on the floor. If you're sitting in a car, then you just need to prop your back up so you can really feel the spine aligned. And imagine that Jophiel and Radziel are pouring their rays of light deep into your spine, deep into your pranic cord. So the yellow and the obsidian light are pouring in, filling the whole of your spine with their magic, with their mystery, with their love, with their glory. And then feel how all of that energy going through your spine also penetrates deep through the base of the spine and then leaks into, positively leaks into the earth beneath you. So if you're in a high-rise building, you just need to see it going down through the building or the structure that you're in. So there's this amazing biofold energy pouring through you. And feel at the same time as you feel these forces moving through your pranic cord that both Jophiel and Radziel are placing within your heart the secrets of their magic, the secrets of their love, the secrets of their mystery. That love is all there is. And just let all the breath go. When you feel the need to breathe, just breathe in. And gently warm those prayers in with a mm, humming through your heart. Mm. 
Let the breath go. When you've finished, breathe in. Let the breath go. And once again. And now open to... And then rest. And you'll feel the reverberation, the resonance of your sound continue to move through your body. That sounding was mostly in your heart. And then just, if you can, if you wish to, repeat after me, I am the divine instrument of the I am. I am the flow of the cosmos. I am the very breath of life. I am unconditional love. I am in supplication to the Divine Mother. I am in supplication to Divine Father. I am in service to all that is humble, loving, innocent, and true. Mighty I am presence, please consume my doubts. Consume my fears, consume my judgment, and allow me to be a pillar of courage. I am in this holy instant surrendering you my heart. I am the force of love and generosity. I am the dazzling experience of human embodiment. I am, as human, a living form of divinity. I am the shimmering light of the Holy Spirit. I am the fire of heaven. I am the mighty presence in action. Be strong, my heart, and sing the song of my soul. And then again, just take a few deep breaths in, let the breath go in preparation, and then just big breath in. See the light of the prana, pranayama going into you. As you do this, you'll probably see that the orb of Jophiel, or the light of Jophiel and, and Raziel have increased. Feel the stillness within you and around you, so you just soak in your soul. And how your skin suit marks the difference between the inner and the outer world. And how you can feel all of this by feeling... Feeling, 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 the whole of your body, feeling, 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 hearing, 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 smelling, smelling, tasting, tasting. And then when you're ready, just opening your eyes like lanterns, feeling yourself at one with the divine.